You've been for a job interview. What, dressed like that? <laughs> yeah, just as well you're on the phones, isn't it? Well, that's settled. Cassie stays where she is. Lauren takes the flat and... Evelyn moves in with me. Thanks, Roy. Thanks. What about... Uh, Count Spatula? Nina. Mm. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 271 of the Talk of the Street, another official Cornish and Street Catcher podcast that could not think of a single pretty thing to say to introduce this week's podcast. I'm Gavin. What are you shaking the table for already? I expected the list of this music to start. Oh. I was like, oh, wait a second. Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast, wrong yes. day. Yes. Also, I appear to be wearing Evelyn's sweater. Is it? I think she has a sweater very much like this. That microphone is not going to point itself at your face. Why is it pointing over there in the first place? I don't know. You're the one that sits there. Gremlins. There you go. I blame gremlins. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she has a sleeveless, long sweater like this. I didn't realize it until I, like, like halfway through the day I was looking at myself and I'm like who's got, who do I know who's got a sweater like this? And it's Evelyn. How are you anyway? Ugh, Exhausted. Because, oh. You know why. You're now giving me finger gestures to Which, hit this button. Which? <laughs> Say it correctly. I did. <laughs> you did not. You said, <laughs> you sound like one of my mother's chickens. Well, there's an obvious <laughs> joke there that I'm not going to make. Yeah, I just, I was sick for a week and then we had the storm and so I'm a week off. Oh, well, no, let's not recap the whole thing. We recapped it last week, right? Didn't yeah, we? but you know, I so I desperately need to finish this auction because there's Halloween stuff in it. So it needs to end in time for people to get their Halloween stuff shipped. Or yes, you pick give it explained up. this dilemma. Oh, so I'm get just, your finger out and get it fixed then. Well, what are you I, doing sitting here? I have to come home eventually. I've been working until four. I'm working oh. Saturdays. It's so rough. And I'm just exhausted. And I'm freaking out because this lady emailed us and said she had all these vintage children's clothing to put in the auction. And I was really happy. But then she never replied to any other emails when we said, yes, we very much want these. And I have a friend in Ohio, Dave, who has toys and stuff and very much seemed to want to put his stuff I bet he does. in the auction and then just kind of ghosted me. Your life has become an episode of Acorn Antiques. Yes, I don't know what that is. Just without Victoria Wood and jokes. Well, I mean, there are jokes. Are there? I mean, my co-worker is named Paul Shore. Polly? <laughs> Polly Shore. <laughs> I've got this lawyer. You're going to end up in an Adam Sandler movie. 
by the end of the year, I guarantee it. There used to be, in, in like the 90s, there was this show where people with the same name as a celebrity swapped places. And Paul was supposed to be on it with Polly Shore. They thought Polly Shore would be great taking the place of a gay man who sold antiques in New York. But then the show was cancelled before they filmed the episode. <laughs> when they realised that they had nothing more than a concept. Well, they did They did film... Because we'll get Polly Shore and we'll get this guy called Paul Shore. Right. And then what? Well, then they swap places and then hilarity ensues. Well, an awful lot is relying on the hilarity ensuing part. Right, yes. Polly Shore is sometimes funny, isn't he? <laughs> He's no Rob Schneider. That's true. They did, they did, there was like one episode, I can't remember who it was with. I think it was George Clooney or something. But still, it's just really hilarious. <laughs> My friend Paul was almost on the show with Polly Shore. Or Polly Shore was going to take over his life. I have a friend called Derek Yates, who was the baddie in the London season of 24. Uh-huh. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Make a TV show out of that. So anyway, long story short, if you are on the North American continent and you have vintage children's items under your feet that you want to ship to Michigan, let me know. Slide into my DMs. Shall we preamble with you? Yes, please. Give us some of that time-sensitive Corey news. <laughs> Rugby will once again be getting in the way of our stories. The oh, week of again. Yes, the week of September 25th. We've had rugby. It happened. Enough. It's not over yet. Ugh. Corey will be on Tuesday the 26th at 8 p.m. for a whole hour and will not be on at all on Friday the 29th. So maybe we get the podcast done a little earlier. There's a silver lining. So it's on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Yes. Corey is... How long has this rugby gone on for? I think this is the last one. It's the finale. The last rugby. Yeah. The last for this year. Is it the Rugby World Series? It's the World Cup. World Cup. Okay. They don't do a series, I guess. No. Well, too bad for them. <laughs> Moving on. Corey is offering fans a date with a serial killer. You could meet up with Fred West. <laughs> <and> <laughs> On October 13th, you could buy tickets to watch the Friday the 13th episode Ooh. with none other than Todd Boyce, a.k.a. Stephen Reed himself and his stupid Ohio accent. <laughs> Go green! Go white. <laughs> and finally, raise a pint of Guinness for Charlie Lawson and his bride-to-be, Debbie Stanley, who are finally, finally getting married after a 10-year-long engagement apparently somebody named Eamon Holmes is going to be officiating <laughs> I, I don't know it. who that when, is when Helen says the names of famous British people that she hasn't a fucking clue who they are and that's Corey News and now we'll podcast for coffee now Helen we have been blessed and the previous number of weeks with lots of 
Very generous donations to a coffee fund, which we're going to have to dive into ourselves this week. Oh no! What happened to Pickles? That's our <laughs> friend of the podcast that works differently. Oh, that's right. We're going to have to require you to pay attention here. <laughs> the Talk of Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes, but if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, not this week, obviously. And if you want to show your Ouch. appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. And please remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be very grateful, won't we, Gav? We will. I think that's the best I've ever done that. (laughs) And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Bob Dover, Bob Dover. This has something to do with Kirk, doesn't it? That's right. This was James's manager, Bob Dover, who apparently had bobbed over to the house for a visit earlier, but missed James. Isn't that funny, considering that James is mentioned for the first time ever in a long time this week? Yeah, this was him getting ready to leave. This was post-heart attack. I was Gavin, and you had held a book that was older than your country in German. Yes. On Deutsch. Yes. On Deutsch. Sure. You were enjoying your new job and getting out of the house for a bit. I'd started three days in the office, which sucked donkey balls and still does. You'd bought a new sweater, and it was in the 80s outside, which was normal and fine unless you were a communist. (laughs) We'd enjoyed our Echo and the Bunnyman experience and being on the guest list. It was fancy, fancy stuff until our tickets didn't scan, but we found the Fillmore's secret entrance. Yes. Apparently one of our friends in the UK went to an Echo and the Bunnyman concert quite recently. Yes, our friend Chris, yes, that one was doing the sound engineering. Mm. And I said, if you see him, say hello. Yes. I don't know if that happened. He might be in Tangier. I'm, I'm I'm quoting a Bob Dylan song at you. Oh, because we're talking about Echo and the Bunny Man? Right, because you said, if you see her, say hello. Oh, okay. And then the next line is, she might be in Tangier. Excellent. Always better when you explain things. Yes. Whoever doesn't kill James just makes him talk more about football as he comes to terms with the limits his heart attack is likely to put on his career. Sam is still desperate to be cool to impress Jelena. Remember Jelena? Yeah, I miss her. The chess protégé. Yes. And turns to Hope and Liam for advice. After Yikes. seeing the impact his presence is having on Speed Dial, Homeless Stew looks for alternative employment. Kelly and Addy's plans to elope to Scotland are uncovered and they get very different reactions from their guardians. Glenda finds life away from the cruise ships a bit of a drag, so looks to a job in the rovers to spice things up a bit. Thank <laughs> God that happened. Yes. Ryan is stung when he sees Alia and Matt get all lovey-dovey right under his nose in the bistro. Remember Matt? Yeah. What was wrong with Matt again? Did she dump him to get back together with Ryan and then that fell apart too? I don't know. With the trial around the corner, Toya looks for a distraction which may involve blowing up her mother-in-law's car. Griff is probably racist. Sean has nine friends and Dev's new cap has a pee on it. Her moment of the week was Toya and Leanne pulling together for the trial and her boring moment of the week was Sam being cool. 
and that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street. This time last year, I remember this was Griff talking about Toya's mother-in-law as right. one of them. One of them. And that was my that was my clue right. that he was going to be racist. And we were like, he's out. either going to be racist or a communist. <laughs> Which way is it going to go? Who knows? We'll take a break there and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Yay! Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline tonight is Dick and Dot. You know it's going to be one of those weeks when the first scene on Monday is a stew scene. Morning has broken and Stu is trying to entice Eliza to go and see her mum, but she's dragging her heels because Dom hasn't shown up. She's arranged to meet Dom for breakfast, you Yes, see. remember that w- that happened last week when mm-hmm. Dom's car broke down so they couldn't do their film thing. Right. She worries that he's still having car trouble and begs for more time, so Stu gives her 20 minutes. Which is stupid because they've been sitting there for two hours now. Right. Like, give it up, kid. How, how long do you want here? Right. Yeah. How long is too long? Right. Do you want to see your mum or not? Because let's remember, your mum has a limited amount of time and you have to drive far away to see her. Because she's in Newcastle now. Right. Whereas your dad should be around all the time. Seems to live in the precinct. That seems to be where he is or thereabouts. Right. Within walking distance. Dom still doesn't show up, so Stu and Eliza end up at the precinct. Eliza's got a face like a bulldog licking pish off a nettle, and halfway to getting a custard slice with Stu, she decides that she wants to wait in the car, so Stu lets her because he's scared of his own granddaughter. Stocked up on custard slices, Stu goes back to the car to find Eliza as charming as ever. He points out that Dom just continually lets her down and has uh, done so again because he says to her, I know that you're in a bad mood because right. your dad's let you down. And she's like, I'm not in a bad mood with my dad. I'm in a bad mood with you. Right. Because my dad could have showed up. <sighs> yeah. He points out that he's let her down. Let her down with the film night and let her down with the breakfast and just continually can't be bothered and still can't be bothered. And this, surprisingly, does little to cheer Eliza up. So she gets out of the car where she's promptly run over and killed. By Tyrone. Now, this is what I did this week. Yes. You solved the mystery. I had seen that license plate before. Uh Because the car that clipped Eliza, Mm -hmm. actually quite well done. The the wine mirror hit her elbow or something. Right. And it looked like, it's a stunt person that's standing. They they don't make 12-year-old little girls stand in the middle of the street and then drive a car at them. No. But it was pretty well done. Yeah. I don't know if it was CGI'd or whatever, but it looked pretty convincing. There was there was a picture on Instagram with Stu and Eliza on a mattress on the street. For when she fell, yeah. Yeah. So the license plate was N900J00. Mm-hmm. Which is far too long. That's well, the same length as all license plates in the UK. And they're all too long. But it's stuck in my head because you don't see all those zeros and O's right. together. So I saw it and I thought I immediately thought I recognised that car from somewhere and I couldn't for the life of me remember where it was, but I wondered if maybe Kathy had driven it and Kathy had knocked somebody down with it, but I thought no, it's more recent than that. So I looked at the episode from Christmas last year where Fizz drives out into the middle of nowhere and, and her car breaks down. Right. And I thought that was Tyrone's car as well, and I think it was at the time. But it was a Suzuki. Uh-huh. I think it was a Suzuki Swift or something. I thought, no, well, it's not Tyrone's car then. What, what car could it be? Uh-huh. But something made me go and look at Fizzy's last scene from mm-hmm. the spring when she left. And there's a car. 
the N900J00. Mm-hmm. It's Tyrone's car. Yes. But we'll get back to that in, in another, another storyline. Story so the car, which I think is probably driven by Dom, because whoever it is is in a hurry. Yeah, and I but thought this he is Dom in, in a hurry. hurry to get to see Eliza. That's what he I thought He doesn't give a fuck about that kid. Let's be let's be honest here. It's got to be Cassie. Yeah. Or Cassie sold the car. Cassie stole the car and sold it to someone dodgy who then drove it away. Yeah, maybe. It's definitely For drug stolen. money. Unless it's Tyrone. It wouldn't be Tyrone. That'd be hilarious. Anyway, the car, whoever it's driven by, speeds away. Well, Stu drags Eliza off to the hospital, taking every opportunity to hit her where she was pranged by the car. It's bad news at the hospital where Eliza's condition has improved to alive. She's got away with a minor fracture and she's getting a, a stooky on it. So that's going to be fun, isn't it, Helen? Mm-hmm. And she wants her dad to be there, so asks Stu to call him. Dom shows up to the hospital with a mahoose of teddy bear. And Stu is that qu- he stole from Daniel. <laughs> Probably. Stu is quickly uh, on him about not showing up. Uh, Dom blames his car, still being broken. And his phone had run out of charge, which only let him read his messages, but not reply because earlier Eliza knew that he'd read the message. Right. Oh, it was on 1% when it did that. And then it immediately died. So Stu calls him a liar to his face. Which always works. Right. And Dom blames him for letting Eliza get run over. A younger man would have been able to stop that. So this is all going exceptionally well. Which is not true. If not particularly interesting. A nurse comes to take Eliza to get her stooky fitted. And it's Dom that she wants to go with her. Alia turns up to the hospital to keep Stu company. He quickly brings her up to speed. She's very much Team Stu, obviously, and she tells him not to let Dom get to him. She advises him to give him enough rope to hang himself and to be there for Eliza and keep a brave face. Later, Dom is introduced to Alia, and after a lot of back and forth where Stu pretends to be the cheeriest grandparent in history and promises an endless supply of pizza and ecstasy tabs, Eliza announces that she wants to go and live with Dom permanently now. Stu and Dom's guts all fall out simultaneously because Dom doesn't really want this. No. Cheery grandparent disappears and he accuses Dom of poisoning Eliza's mind. He decides to leave them to it. Dom, that is, which surprises Alia. Don't you want to be hanging around here because an awful lot of this is about you? Mm-hmm. Stu points out that Eliza's a child and he's a guardian and it's a law. The law is an ass, says Eliza. And she wants to live with Dom because he's fun. He can't look after you, says Stu. And you can snaps Eliza ouch Alia sends Stu off to get tea and explains to Eliza how the law works she announces that she hates Stu and wishes that she'd never moved in with him Alia calls her an ungrateful cow and that no one cares about her as much as Stu does and right at this moment I really don't care for her one little bit no meanwhile Stu and Dom argue in the waiting room and it seems that Dom doesn't want Eliza living with him either and doesn't really want any more of her than maybe a couple of times a month Stu points out that Eliza thinks the sun shines out of his arse and thinks every day is going to be rainbows and unicorns even though they've been out together once and he's let her down at least twice. He offers to take a step back, especially if Stu can sweeten the deal. He asks for ten grand to clear out some credit card debt. He has ten grand in credit card debt. It's always a nice round number, isn't it? Yeah. He's like, "That that should do it. Because remember, Eliza let slip last week. 
that granddad has a lot of money mm-hmm. because mom put him in jail. How much did they get? Was it like a hundred and something? That was it was a lot of money. Yeah. I didn't work out an awful lot per year, but it was no. a lot in a lump sum, I think. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because cause, um, Dee Dee didn't want him to take it because it wasn't, it wouldn't equate to the years that he lost. Mm-hmm. Sue tells Dom that he won't pay him to be an absent father when he's doing a good enough job for free and he refuses. Eliza comes out and hears Stu refuse. So Sue shouts for a bit until everyone gives up and goes home. And back home and Eliza immediately runs, runs up the stairs. Alia wonders why Stu can't keep a lid in his temper for five minutes, so he has to explain about Dom's proposal. She wonders why he didn't tell Eliza, but he doesn't think she needs to hear that and doesn't trust him as far as he could throw him. And later, Stu comes down from bed to find Eliza raiding the fridge. He apologises and tells her that he's trying his best and advises her to go to bed soon. He heads up the stairs again, and Eliza, who has fractured her arm today and her arm's in a stooky, reveals that she's packed a bag and so she grabs her bag and and a blanket, I think, and sneaks out the front door. Or jacket or something, yeah. God, this wee lassie. Yeah, and she lies to him and says, oh, I have choir practice in the morning, so you probably won't see me in the morning. Mm, So calculating as well. Right, yeah. And then walks out on the street, this 12-year-old girl wandering the street. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. She's really lucky that she made it to Dom's. Mm -hmm. So Wednesday, Ali and Stu are up and about, blissfully unaware that Eliza's done a runner, with Stu thinking that she's going off to that choir practice thing. He thinks they've turned a corner since yesterday and had a good talk last night. And he promises to show Eliza more of his fun side. They'll go to a movie. And they want Alia to go with them. But she has to go to the library and do some research because apparently... Computers don't exist. The internet no longer exists. Stu wanders by the bus stop and Hope and Ruby ask after Eliza, who Stu explains as early choir practice. When Stu wanders away, Hope reveals that the practice was cancelled. But she didn't say anything to Stu because bitches got to stick together. Yeah, bros before hoes, man. <laughs> bros before hoes. Bros before hoes, indeed. Later, that's what Hope said. Later, Stu gets a call at Speed Dial to let him know that Eliza hasn't been asked to show up for classes today. And I'm surprised that they actually expected her to be in class today, given that she broke her arm yesterday. Right. Yeah. But I guess if she can run away from home, she well, can go to school. Right, yeah. And the thing is, is if the school may not know that she broke her arm. If Stu expected her to go to school, then he's not going to call the school and say, hey, Eliza's not going to be in school today because she broke her arm. Right. Stu is more furious than usual to learn that Eliza has lied to his face and he suspects Dom of kidnapping his own daughter. So he goes off to sort this out by shouting quite a bit. Which does happen all the time and is always tragic. Right. And Eliza is indeed at Dom's, but apparently it was her idea and she announces that she's staying with Dom now and has no intention of going back with Stu. And Dom slams the door in Stu's face. That's not the first time that Stu's had a door slammed in his face. And he always does the same thing. Rubs his face, hands through his hair. Mm. Stu phones the cops and the social services and it's Felicity who shows up who reveals that they've already done an assessment on Dom back when uh, Eliza's mum got put in prison right yeah they did an assessment of him already but they didn't give him the child or think to tell anybody 
in the family of, of where he was. Right. So they've done an assessment of him. They decided to begin with, or wait, did, did they offer her? They did offer her to Dom and Dom refused her. So you'd think that they would remember that. <laughs> right. Yeah. You'd think that they would question why this guy now wants to be a dad. When he doesn't. Right. And when he already told them he doesn't. Right. So Felicity knocks on the door and she and the copper are going for a chat, leaving Stu out in the cold. He gets his uh, door slammed in his face again here. I know. That was kind of hilarious that even the cop is slamming the door in his face. Right. After consultation, the social decide to let Eliza stay another night while they figure out what to do. Stu is fucking furious about this. And in yes. the commotion, he accidentally elbows the copper in the face. You're nicked, pal. Assaulting a police officer. Yeah. Later, though, Stu is released without charge. Do you know, and it probably is because it's been done wrongfully in the right. past. So they're yeah. probably, I ain't touching this with a barge pole. No. Just let him go. Yeah. Dee Dee's in the station while he's leaving. And Stu tells her that he's got a battle on his hands here. And he asks Dee Dee for her opinion. She says that courts don't usually favour grandparents over parents, especially grandparents with obvious anger management issues. Mm. Back home, the show remembers that Alia and Dee Dee are friends. So that was nice, Helen, wasn't it? Yeah, that Alia works for Dee Dee. <laughs> right. That's why she was doing research. Dee Dee tells her about Stu being arrested while Alia fills Dee Dee in about Dom trying to sell Eliza. Dee Dee reckons if they can get proof of this, it'll change everything. And that is what a high-powered lawyer can do for you, see? A forensic knowledge of the law to know that buying people is illegal. Right. Later, where was she? Where was she when Summer was going to sell her baby? <laughs> Nobody asked her. Nobody asked her. Nobody thought to ask. Later, Susan Rovers drunk on whiskey, moaning to Evelyn, who he thinks is called Emily. She advises him that he's bad cop granddad, just like she's bad cop nan here. And he just has to wait for Dom to slip up. Which is exactly what Alia said. He goes off to sing Chris Rea at the bar, which is how we know that he's drunk. Yes, that was terrible. <sighs> and it went on so forever. So bad. And he sang so the wrong lyrics as well. Yeah. When Alia and Didi come in, Stu is now off the mind that he should pay Dom off. But back home, Alia's fetched him a glass of water and a now sober Stu. He promises to follow Didi's advice, get tactical and keep a lid on his temper. Alia says that if he doesn't, he'll lose Eliza. Yes. And at the moment, losing Eliza doesn't seem to be that much of a loss, does it? Hey. I guess you can love, love your their kids terrible children. without particularly liking them. Right. Yeah. I guess that's how my mother stays sane. <laughs> I guess that's how everyone's mother stays sane. <laughs> Yeah, because it's, it's dead easy for, for me to think all the way through this. This isn't worth the hassle, Stu. Just, yeah. just let her go. Just let her go. And see what happens. Right, because if you let her go and see what happens, she's going to be back home soon enough. Yeah. Well, or we'll Dom is going to just take off and leave her abandoned in that apartment. Right. Well, we'll see how things go on Friday, shall we? Yeah. Alia and Stu are making a happy, happy birthday video for Yasmin's 70th. Stu is as boring as ever. Alia wants to get some friends to make videos too to make up for the fact that Stu's really stinking this up a little bit. Right. She'll ask Roy and Kathy. Eliza, though, hasn't been responding to Stu's messages and they decide not to tell Yasmin about any of this just yet. Later, the social comes round. She's seen Eliza, who is adamant that she wants to stay with her dad, which the social thinks they should honour. 
Stu tells her about the deal Dom was trying to strike, which the lady takes a note off, and then she recommends that Stu gives her some space and time, recognising the fact that Stu constantly badgering this wee lassie isn't helping matters. No. I do find this curious, though, that the, the social worker, who again has assessed this guy and is aware that initially he didn't want anything to do with his child, mm-hmm. is saying... Let's let's just leave her there, even though you are her legal guardian and responsible for monetarily supporting her. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what happens. Well, yeah, this is this is where the um, the rubber meets the road. Yes, when Dom has to go and do the first weekly shop, right, and has an extra mouth to feed here, right, or is he expecting somehow that Stu's going to pay for all that, right? Mm. Yeah, I wondered because Stu has custody. Right. Shouldn't Eliza go back with Stu and then right. if Dom wants custody. either full custody or shared custody or whatever, yeah. then they should go to the court and petition that. Right, and, yeah. But this until is... that happens, let's honour the decision that's been made. Right. And Eliza stays with Stu for the time being. Right, yes. Who the state, let's remember, the government has given this child to Stu. The government decided Stu is the best option for which, this child. Which may or may not be correct. Right, but he's definitely but, better than Dom. Well, so everyone says, and it really grinded my gears this week, that every time they mentioned Dom, Stu would say something like, oh, our asshole of a father, or uh-huh. our so-called father, right. or her waste of a father, uh-huh. or just constantly talking him down just to remind us that he's a bit of an asshole. Right. Even though the the one thing that we've got to go on here is he's asked for some money off a stew. He's an, and, op, he's an opportunist. Right. And he's also twice let this little girl down. Right. And also, he's not the one who found her. He was aware of where she was and chose not to reach out. He only started to reach out when she contacted him, mm-hmm. when she found him on Facebook. Or friend, Friends Connect. Ah, okay. Or she boggled him or something. Yeah, something happened. Something did happen. So, so we do none know it, this guy. None of it interesting. We do already know this guy is a waste of space. But it's kind of like Chauncey talking about Henry, <laughs> you know, constantly being this, you know, fly-by-night pretty boy, constantly over and over and over again. Yeah. It's, it's like, like yes, show. We get it. We get it. <laughs> you don't have to keep on doing no, this. No, Seriously. Stop. They even got uh, Alia doing it. When Alia's explaining to Dee Dee about him. Right. It's, oh, it's Eliza, waste Eliza's waste of space dad is blah, blah, blah. He's trying, we, to, we know. He's trying to sell her. I mean, you deserve none of the attention that we're given this, but we have been paying attention. Right, yes. Sam hoping Eliza dropping at Nina's rolls later to find Roy recording a message for Yasmin's 70th. The kids want to help. And um, they're going to go off to get some cue cards and stuff. But when Sam asks Roy what he's doing, he says that he's doing this message for Yasmin's 70th. And this seems to sting Eliza. She suddenly feels left out because no one has thought to ask her for a message. I wonder why. Because you don't answer the freaking phone. What is wrong with this kid when she doesn't answer her granddad's calls? But is upset that she wasn't asked to do something. It's like... Up until this point... What, what, where's, 
Where's the thought process here? Well, up until this point, all Eliza knows is that nobody wants to upset her here. Right. Nobody wants to upset her. The uh, social worker doesn't want to upset her. The cops don't want to upset her. She's been allowed to do whatever the hell she likes. Right. And now she's come to the fact that, well, there's a consequence to that. Yes. That Stu isn't going to ask you to record a stupid message for you. Because you won't answer the phone when he calls to ask you. But then she's like put out by this. And she's like, well, he hates me now. Right. (coughs) When two days ago you said that you hated him. Right. Oh, go for a long walk off a short pier, please. It's terrible to say about a child. Oh, I, Even a I terrible really hate one. this wee lassie. I hate this wee lassie. The, the, car, the car, obviously. Yes. So the kids are at the bus stop later. Sam tries to encourage Eliza to contact. She's, Sam's really annoyed at Hope here. When Which Hope is, is the Hope one that's speaking one. sense. Yes. Hope's, a, Hope's had enough of Eliza's pish. Right. You can't tell the guy not to contact you. And when he doesn't contact you, you can't sit and complain about it. Right, He's yeah. doing what you wanted. Yes. Go hope. <laughs> right. And Sam's like, hope. And it's like, he's just been very, Sam's been very Sam here. And it's like, oh, you got 20 minutes before your bus gets here. So I'll, she has to take a bus to Dom's house? Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, you've got 20 minutes. Why don't you go say hi to your granddad? And then she'll say, oh, he hates me. Yeah, that's why he's desperately trying to get you back because he hates you. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so Sam gets an idea, which isn't much of an idea. Well, it's it's a Sam idea. Back at home, Stu and Alia watch Roy doing a shite love actually on his video, or or a shite Bob Dylan subterranean homesick blues mm. impersonation. That's two Bob Dylan references in one episode of Talk of the Street. You're welcome. At least one too many. Stu has calmed a lot and has decided to listen to the social worker and hope that Eliza sees sense. And at that, he gets a text from her. She sent a video for Yasmin's lame birthday compilation. And this makes Stu happy, but also sad because their video was better than his. (laughs) And also the fact that he's got a video, but she didn't come to visit. But she did say, love you. Right. Yes. Which Alia points out. Well, that's as far as we get with that this week. <sighs> now, I didn't care about this one little bit last week. And this week, I think I care about it less. And it's another one of those frustrating things that the show tries to hype up. And it's just, it, it falls flat because the show is terrible at hyping things up. Because <laughs> the the spoilers for this was all, the headlines were all, Stu goes to jail in... The fight for Eliza's custody. And he was in jail for like five minutes. Yeah. And Eliza rushed to hospital. Right. Stu and death rushed to hospital thing. Right. After horrendous car crash. Right. And you're like, what? How does this compare to what I've just watched? Right. Yeah. They're terrible at this. The issue that I have with this, that I probably have already said, but maybe I'll say it differently and you won't notice, is that for a while Stu was a a good character. We enjoyed Stu when he was homeless and when he was helping uh, Kelly out and he was getting uh, ITV Corey sent down and all that sort of stuff. And initially when he came into the show, he was 
quite good value as well. He had that cough, remember, and we thought, oh, God, oh he's no. not long for this world. And he was very cheerful, even though he was homeless. And I reckon they probably had plans to kill him. That's what the cough was all about. Right. And they decided, do you know what? I think people are liking this guy. Bill Fellow's uh, presentation of Homeless Stuart. Right. And, as we were. And yeah. I do like Bill Fellow's. Yes. He and, was great in Ted Lasso. And in the Alan Partridge episodes that he's in. Yeah. So he's a good actor. So we had uh, a lot of a lot of faith and a lot of goodwill had been built up about Stu right. since his inception. Then they kind of kept him on and introduced him to Yasmin, and I was kind of I kind of was less interested in that, but not. I kind of liked them together it. initially. Then they had him become a bit of an asshole and a murderer. And, and, well, I'm skipping over the murderer part. I, I was very much not interested in the. The family that they suddenly decided to give him, and and the backstory that never made sense, and, no. the, and how this wee lassie could have possibly killed this grown woman, and all that sort of stuff. Yes. But then, following all that, and as he's getting his feet under the table at Yasmin's, he becomes a bigger asshole. Yeah. Roundabout the pub quiz. Yeah. He's the world's worst person that you want to have in a pub quiz because he says that he knows the answer, he doesn't Correct. know the answer. Correct. And he gets annoyed when you don't listen to him. Right. So that was annoying in itself but then he started to take the piss out of roy mm-hmm. and you, you so don't, don't you don't take the piss out of roy you don't take the piss out of roy if you want to become a character that we care about yeah and i think that's probably true for most of the people that watch Corner yes. Street. roy is higher up in the pecking order than Stu ever is will be ever going to be yeah so him taking the piss out of roy didn't sit well no he's still getting a bit off with Yasmin until Yasmin goes away. So at this point in the storyline, we don't really care about Stu that much. No. And we certainly don't care about Eliza. No, because at first she was this very sweet, charming wee girl. The show remembered that she plays guitar this week. That was kind of nice because she was worried about if she'll ever get to play the guitar again. So we have Stu that we don't care about, Eliza that we don't care about, Dom we don't know. Right, and definitely don't care about... And this is the A storyline this week mm. on Monday and Wednesday. Yeah. And it was a pretty high up storyline last week as well. So it's yeah. like an awful lot of time has been dedicated to the storyline that even if, even if the rest of Corey was sparkling. Right. I'm still not going to be interested in this. And the fact that the rest of Corey wasn't sparkling just makes it stand out even more. It's just, yeah. just a really dull storyline that's getting way too much time right it is really dull and it it feels really inaccurate and there it seems like they're try they're they're being forced because it's not really an exciting storyline they're being forced to manufacture some sort of like tension here kids getting rushed to hospital yeah but then it's fine everyone will surely care about that right Mm. but it's just a fracture Mm. And she's out of the hospital right away. Yeah, I mean, it really confuses me because they're typically so good when they get an actor who's well known for something on Evelyn, for example. They have these actors who are known for being good comedic actors. Bill Fellows is a very good comedic actor, and yet they're forcing him to play this character who's not funny at all. No, he's a bit of a... Um, he's a prick now. He's a prick and he's, he's a buzzkill. Yeah, yeah, he was kind of funny in the in the homeless stage. 
And it's it's just weird because back in the homeless stage, before they decided that he was going to have gone down for murder at some point, which really didn't jive with what we knew of his timeline beforehand, where he said his wife kicked him out for being a drunkard and... Did that happen? Yeah. I remember that we had question marks over the timeline, certainly. Right. That that wasn't resolved by the revelation of the timeline. No, no. That that he became homeless when after his wife kicked him out and he lost his job in the Navy being a cook because he drank too much. And then all of a sudden he was in prison as a murderer. For 20 years. Right. Which doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I really, I really equate that is the point where the Stu character kind of went off the rails when they decided that in order for him to become a regular character, they had to spice up his backstory. But the backstory existed on the streets. Right. They could have given him anything that happened to him. Some on of the, the streets. The crazy trauma that he faced. And right. The, the shit that he saw when he lived in the street. Right. Surely there must have been a, a diamond in there that they could have buffed right. up and, and used that rather than inventing this this murder story and the the daughter doing it is just So oh. dumb. So dumb. I don't know. Maybe they thought that they they'd already used up all of their interesting homeless storylines with Sean and no. Homeless Carol. <laughs> Remember Homeless Carol? I miss her. Yeah. I hate what they've done with Eliza. She was a nice wee lassie. Yeah. She was she was loved a, her granddad. Right. She was a she was adorable. Of course, she kind of went off the rails when she told Sam that he was a nerd and she didn't want to hang out with him anymore. Hmm. When the volcano exploded. And it yeah. was Hope's fault. And yet it seems like everyone's forgiven Hope. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Quelle surprise. Well. And they're all friends now when Hope was really mad. Hope did that whole thing because she thought Eliza was trying to steal her man. Because that happens when you're 12. Yeah. They're not setting the head of the light with no. a storyline. I don't, I don't really care how it goes. No. If she comes back, if she doesn't. Yeah. That's a big so what for me. Yeah. Oh, oh well. well. That's a cheery way to start. Let's move on to our second storyline, which is recovery, schmickovery. <laughs> On Monday, Tyrone's walking the girls to the bus stop because he doesn't trust Cassie to do it, which everyone seems to know, including the girls. Right. And Nina Rolls races Kelly's on time for once with good reports of the B&B that she stayed in last night. Roy wants to get in touch with social services about the next steps, but she doesn't want to end up in care and would rather handle it herself. What age is she? I thought she was 18 now. She's 17 or 18. Yeah. Would she end up in care? I'm not sure. Maybe. No. Maybe. I don't know. At the precinct flat, Elon is sitting on the sofa with a hot water bottle, seeming very alone and, and very, bored. And um, that hot water bottle is so noisy. <laughs> yes. It was hilarious. And then the rolls later, Evelyn comes in with Freddie, worried about Cassie and the kids being in the house together while she's in the flat, freezing to death. Roy worries that Evelyn is being too harsh, and then Evelyn gets a call from Fizz. And it's closing time when Nina rolls... And Roy has a chat with Nina about racist Kelly moving into the flat with him. Fuck no, says Nina, who thinks that this is a bad move yes. for Roy having her in such close proximity. And this is very wise. Yes, Nina is wise. Always wise. 
At the garage, Cassie is on another tea break when Evelyn comes along to tell Ty that Fizz called. It's clear that Fizz knew nothing about Cassie or a relapse and Evelyn thinks that he needs to tell her. Yeah. And if he doesn't tell her, then she's a goner. Yeah. Ty is furious about this and they all argue about what right Fizz has to know anything about Cassie or who's living in her house. And or, around her and children. And daughter, right. When Roy appears like a bad smell and insists that they all go to the cafe to discuss this calmly. And Kev's very happy about this because this gets them the fuck away from the garage. Right. So the cafe, Evelyn wonders if Ty has learned nothing about keeping secrets from his wife. He acts dumb about this. And Evelyn says, do I need to say this again in Romanian? And that was hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. But He's like, that's completely different. He thinks this is different. And Cassie thinks Evelyn is twisting stuff. Long story short, Roy facilitates a change of living arrangements to keep everyone happy. Evelyn will move in with Roy because Evelyn, Evelyn can't stay at the flat. And that's got just comedy written all over it, hasn't it? It really does. It makes me so happy. Before that, racist Kelly will sublet the precinct flat, which puts her next door to Sabrina. Yes. Because she can afford £700 per calendar month because she's got a second job now at a call centre. Right, 650 Let's just call it 700 And Cassie stays where she is. I'm not sure how that makes anything better, but whatever. Even it, wonders about, about Count Spatula over there. So Roy... Because the show seems to forget that Evelyn and Nina are friends. That they used to go to protests together right. and dance in fountains. <laughs> yes. And... and chained themselves to bulldozers. Count Spatula was a, another cracking line, though. Right, yes, but still, these two people are friends. Mm -hmm. So Roy sends Nina off to stay with Asha for a couple of weeks. No one asks Dave what he thinks about this. Right, and, and also, we don't see Nina at Dev's in another storyline after there. all this happens. Right. And Tyrone promises to speak to Fizz. So back home, Tyrone calls Fizz and talks to her on the laptop and apparently it's okay for Cassie to stay. Tyrone telling her that Cassie is trustworthy. <laughs> Tyrone tells Hope and Ruby and pretends that they have a say in the matter, but Hope is fairly nonplussed about it, but seems to be happy. So Does she though? Does she, she doesn't really? really she she doesn't really. She doesn't really seem happy, but she says family has to look out for one another. Right. Evelyn moves into the flat and announces that she'll be using the lock on her bedroom door to prevent Roy or his sleepwalking alter ego from paying her a nocturnal hole mission. <laughs> she seems happy, though, that these arrangements are for the best. Now They're best for Freddy, because now Freddy doesn't have to go back and forth between two houses. Right. There was a little throwaway line at the start here while Tyrone was taking the girls to the bus stop where he just says that he's so busy... And he's harassed as he's trying to get the girls to the bus stop because I guess the street was so busy parking-wise that right. he had to park his car on Tiles Street. Yes. So that's important yes. for what's about to happen on Wednesday Yes. when Tyrone announces that his car has been stolen. <gasps> he parked it on Tiles Street. Yes. It's not there anymore. No, because it was busy knocking Eliza over. Right. So that was the, the chain of events was 
Tyrone parks his car on Tell Street on Monday. It gets stolen on Monday. Yeah. It's used to knock over Eliza on Monday, and then Tyrone notices that it's stolen. Nobody knows at this point that Tyrone's car is the one that knocked over Eliza. Now, did 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 Stu not contact the police that Eliza was involved in a hit and run? One would assume. One would one would assume, and one would assume that there are CCTV all over that precinct. And if there aren't, I don't know how you forget the license number N nine hundred J zero zero, right? Or J O O. Yeah. Does he see that though? Is it on the back of the car yeah. as well as the front? Okay. Front and back. Okay. It's well, always been weird for, just... for us here in Michigan, where the plates are just on the back. Yes. But in Connecticut, they're on the front and back. Correct. He would have seen enough of it to say that there's a lot of old-looking shapes in there that uh-huh. would have helped, and it was blue, and it was a Ford right. Focus, I think. Yeah, we don't see him go to the police. We don't see a policeman there at the hospital. You'd think no. there would have been a policeman there at the hospital taking a statement. We see him looking at the car as it speeds away, but nobody knows it's Tyrone's car. No. We know it's Tyrone's car. Yes, because you're because, Sherlock Holmes. Because I'm sad, and I, I got on my nerves, and I had to look it up. So anyway, Tyrone's car has been stolen. He parked it on Tyrell Street, and now it's gone. And Cassie looks shocked. Right. Well, Tyrone's car is mysteriously stolen. It's left to Cassie to walk the girls to the bus stop, which she does, and then immediately abandons them before the bus arrives. So what right. was the point of walking them to the bus stop? Right, yeah. Who knows? Maybe she just, she's out of practice because she's never had to do it by herself before. And then the trolls, even as the mood about Captain Ahab there, a.k.a. Roy, who woke her up with the shipping forecast, which Roy finds soothing. It but, is soothing. Have you listened to the shipping forecast? I used to listen to it all the time. You got it here? Yeah, well, believe it or not, we have the shipping news for things being shipped out from the United States as well. Yeah, but that's got American razzmatazz on it. There's no razzmatazz on the Radio 4. No, it's just an old man. It's just an old man reading things out. Sounds pretty similar. Yeah, it's on AM radio. Yeah. Yeah. So he promises to wear headphones in the future. She was also disturbed by a poster of Robert Smith on the wall. I can understand that. Evelyn gives him a shopping list and then fucks off back to bed. Tyrone comes in at Nina's Rolls later and they talk about Evelyn and the teething problems of her uh, moving in. Tyrone wants her to go easy on Roy, who hasn't had a chance to get to the shops to buy her anything that's on her list. But she says that she's a guest here and she should be treated as such. Tyrone thinks that she's a scrounger. Evelyn reckons that that's what his mum is. Well, what does that make you then, he says, and he, and he flounces off. And during this scene, Evelyn also calls millennials millenniums. Right, and she also says that Tyrone is a millennial, which I think he's slightly too old to be a millennial, isn't he? You said you said the other week that he was like slightly younger than you. and he's I 10 think years younger than me. Huh? I think he's 10 years younger than me. 10 years, so... That would mean that he was born in 81? No, that would mean no. that he was born in 83. 83, yeah. I'm not good at math. Uh, come on, that's subtracting 10 from something. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. <coughs> so that's like, it's kind of like right, right on the cusp, isn't it? Between millennial, that'd be like an exennial, is what we call them here. No, you're just making this up now. <laughs> 
So, Evelyn goes back, uh, Evelyn gets back from the shops with promises to make dinner, obviously taking Tyrone's advice to heart. But yeah. then she and Roy end up arguing about the type of potato that's best for making jacket spuds. And Evelyn goes off in a huff. He calls something the Rolls Royce of jacket potatoes. Menace Pipers, and he's right. <laughs> Do we get those here? I don't think so. No. Later, Evelyn's in the Rovers when Tyrone appears at the bar. He checks on how she is. He reckons that it must be tough living with Roy, given how she feels about him. And if looks could kill yes. Ellen. Yes. Back in Ina's roles. And Evelyn, Cassie does not look happy that Tyrone is talking to Evelyn. No, because that's all she cares about. Right. Yeah. It's like, how dare you care about her? Evelyn and Roy meet up after closing time in Ina's roles. She's brought dessert with her and an apology for earlier. And he apologises for preferring a different potato. And they head up to the upstairs in the flat. And yeah. that's as far and as we Fre- get And with their, their child, Freddie. <laughs> right. There was a lot to uh, chuckle at in this storyline, mostly thanks to Evelyn. Yes. I thought there were three bedrooms in Roy's. Because, let's not forget, Carla yeah. and Nina both lived there at the same time with Roy. And I don't think they were sharing a bedroom. So I'm not, I'm really confused about why Nina had to move out and why Evelyn had to move into Nina's bedroom. Uh, I guess it's a small flat for three people to be living on top of each other in. But there's another bedroom there. Yeah, but still. So even if Nina leaves, Evelyn doesn't have to sleep in Nina's bedroom, is what I'm saying. No. Did they forget that there are three bedrooms up there? Because what was Roy expecting racist Kelly to do? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Just to chop and change the the maximum capacity of these places. Right, yeah. And, and of... Almost as if uh, to suit the storyline. Right. And of all of the terrible things that happened this week, that's, that's short change. Yeah, Evelyn was really funny. It was nice to see Fizz again. Yes. Even if it's on a computer screen. Please come back. Please. Please come back, Fizz. Please come back, Fizz. Because she'll sort this shit out. Yes, she will. And she'll take no piss from nobody. Right, yeah. And she'll she'll realise very quickly that Tyrone sugarcoated things. So if Cassie stole Tyrone's car, how and when did she do it? I don't know. Because she's with Tyrone at the start. Right, and she's with him at work. Mm-hmm. So she's with him all the time, unless like she did it in the middle of the night, or she stole his keys and slipped them to someone else. Or is it just some rando? It can't possibly be some rando, can it? Who just saw a car unattended? Well, sure, and this is, well... Let's think of all the things that have to happen for that coincidence to happen. Right. We have a car being stolen. Right. We have a child being knocked over. Correct. By a car that has the license plate of the car that's been stolen. Correct. So if these things are completely separate uh, and and just uh, a fact that the continuity department were on their lunch break <laughs> and they don't care that they've used the same car as the one that's apparently been stolen. I mean, why has... Why is Tyrone's car being stolen? Right. It's the question. What, you know, what, what does that serve? 
You know, I wonder if it was dumb. And then when they find out, then the social worker will finally say, oh, yeah, you can't live with this guy. Mm-hmm. Because it was a hit and run. That's It was a hit and run. It's, it's, it's terrible to hit a child to begin with. Even Eliza. But to hit a child. With a car. And then, well, with anything. <laughs> Do not hit children with anything. Ill-advised. Ill-advised. Even, even Eliza. <laughs> but then to just take off. Yeah. And, and not stop and get out of the car and make sure she's okay. It does kind of, it does kind of make me feel like maybe it was Dom. I can, I think it is because, um, because well, well, whoever drove off is the person who stole the car. Right. The person who clipped Eliza was kind of in a hurry around the corner. Right. Were they speeding? I well, don't know. they stole a car, so of course they're in a hurry. Right, but if the car isn't, if the car is driven by Tyrone, for example, and then the car's in a hurry, I don't know if it was speeding or not, but if it was just like a regular person who'd, uh-huh. who'd hurt a little girl, your instinct is to get out of the car. And make sure she's e- okay. Even if it's your fault. I don't think it was their fault. It's the, it's the wee lassie's fault for stepping out in the traffic. Right. This suggests but it makes it their fault when they speed away. The minute that they drive off, obviously it's their fault. So and, whoever, it was, and it was also weird because they do stop. They do stop and you see them kind You well, you see the rear view mirror and you see them stop. And then once, <laughs> once Eliza is slowly getting up from the ground, that's when they take off. Right. And Dom does get to the hospital very quickly. Uh, I think so too. Hmm. I think it's there before Alia. And he has money problems and he has car problems. Yes. Yes. I forgot the fact. Well, he could be lying about the car problems because he does get there eventually. Right. And again, based on what we know, though. he gets there very quickly for somebody who doesn't have a car at the moment. Especially since he gets there faster than Alia. And also gets a chance to buy an enormous teddy bear, which may be for sale downstairs. Who knows? Right. I'm not sure his motivation for stealing the car, other than maybe he doesn't have a car and he doesn't have money or he has money problems. Right. And also he's supposedly this really skeevy guy. Yeah. I think it makes more sense for him to steal it than, than Cassie. Right. And it looked like it was a man that was driving it. Yeah. You could only see the, really the hand on the steering wheel, but the shape of the body looked like it was a man, but it's probably a stunt driver or whatever. Right, yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. But I <sighs> don't think any of, any of this has been picked up. No. So I think we're the only ones who know that it's Tyrone's car. Who us, know for sure that it's Tyrone's yeah, car. I think us and all of the spam on spammers on facebook who were giving you advice for how to find your stolen car i feel like i have all the knowledge that i'm ever going to need on this now it's hilarious because a friend of ours uh, their car didn't get stolen but their bike got stolen and they posted it publicly you know and this is like the fourth or fifth time his his bike had been stolen i feel so and he uses his bike for work and when he posted about his bike being stolen again, he was getting a lot of the spam about, oh, this is what you should do if your car is stolen. If you go to this app, they will help you out. Right. 
and he got very angry about it. <laughs> right. Poor Jeremy. I don't know if people are assuming that because Tyrone's mentioned that his cars got stolen uh-huh. and a car was involved in this mm-hmm. hit and run that one thing equals the other. But right. If they're sticking to the continuity, it is Tyrone's car. Yes. And see, this is the bit of both of these storylines that does genuinely interest me, is the hit and run and who's driving the car. Mm-hmm. That's genuinely interesting. Right. So if it isn't Dom, then it would be somebody that's outside that storyline that's done it, and that kind of gets messy. Right. Storyline-wise. If it's not Dom and it's, and it's not Cassie, or it's not somebody who Cassie sold the car to for drug money, mm-hmm. which we haven't seen her high at all this week. No. So probably not. No. And she does she does buy the fish and chips right. and come back with it if, with actual fish and chips. Right. So who knows? Well that's what I think it is. We will we will Stay find tuned. out in due course and do you know Metro or Manchester Evening News? If you want to interview me about this, you've got my deets. Yes. <laughs> they really should. They really should because it's very interesting and you are very smart. Persistent. Our next storyline. <laughs> I'm smart. Our next storyline tonight is racist love triangle. Even though it's not a triangle. It's not a triangle. Nobody loves racist Kelly. On Monday, Mrs. Periwinkle, she doesn't love racist Kelly, but she's getting her hair cut at the salon. Max is there. Her name is Mrs. Periwinkle. Like she's just stepped out of a box of clue. She looked like she was in her 40s as well. Mrs. Periwinkle? You need to be 90 to be Mrs. Periwinkle, don't you? She had very white hair. I thought it was blonde. It was white. Max is there supposedly to be part of an apprenticeship, but he's too busy checking his phone for updates about Racist Kelly. And this rubs David's tits the wrong way. He tells Max to quit worrying about her and start worrying about himself. Yes. This this broad, she can look after herself. Why is David working in the hair salon and not the barbers? And later, why is Kev getting his hair cut at the salon and not the barbers? Right. I'm so confused. Is the barber shut down because of the dangerous motorcycle inside (laughs) who knows who knows uh later roy comes in uh to the salon from another storyline to tell max a racist kelly is now living at the precinct and has a job in a racist call center as well and apparently earns enough now to afford 700 pounds per calendar month i don't know if he said tells him that it's in the precinct i think he just says that she has found a place to live because he's very surprised right. later on. Yeah, later Max is with Sabrina. And they're about to smooch outside Sabrina's house when racist Kelly comes out and they awkwardly realise that their neighbours now belt her. Because racist Kelly's staying at number four and Sabrina with Gav. Number three. Number three. And that's as far as we get with that. That actually probably should have been in amongst another storyline, but it seemed separate enough and I thought we are going to come back to it. And then we never did. No. It is always fun to watch David cut people's hair. Because he, he turns on the charm. Oh, he's got the patter on He's Don't got worry the patter with the old ladies. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you forget that there's this side of David. Oh, never you mind, Mrs. P. You just close your ears. We've got some family stuff going on here. Right. And then the whole, um, the whole thing with people's spirit animals 
which is spit on them all. which is not an okay thing to say by the way but it's fine you're british you don't know um you know about people's hair having its own spirit animals and and kev is a badger just like you yeah yeah although i'm turning into a polar bear <laughs> let's face it you'll always be my your your beard is still badger it's getting whiter and whiter You'll always my be. My moustache is starting to go grey as well, which was the last. Your eyebrows last will always be black. <laughs> yes, they will be black 50 years after I'm dead. <laughs> and you'll always be my badger. <laughs> there we go. Because that has nothing to do with your hair. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Our next story is, well, I guess we're going to have some, uh, we're going to have some stupid shenanigans between racist Kelly and Sabrina Sabrina in coming weeks which again you know can't can't we just let Max and Sabrina be happy and maybe make racist Kelly a little less terrible and why would racist Kelly be thrown into care if she's got two jobs and can afford a 700 pound rent because of her age but if she can afford that and she's she's able to live on her own well, she didn't have the second job when Roy suggested calling social services. I don't know, that bit just seemed weird to me. Anyway, okay, let's move on this time to Addy of Love. Boo! Oh. On Monday, Darren's and Dev's and whatever deal it was that they were working on in previous weeks with Freshco, it's gone through, Darren comes in to tell Dev. They arrange for a night out to celebrate with their other halves and Addy. Amy comes in and she gets an invite too to chaperone Addy no mates, but Amy tells them to suck on her balls, she's not interested. Later, Addy wonders why he's been invited along and doesn't fancy it, but Dev talks him into it, saying it's worth celebrating and he's paying. So Addy agrees and wanders away, leaving Dev to wonder why he's not so keen on sitting at a table with grown-ups. Right. He badgers are passing Amy again, pointing out that Darren might not be a bad bloke to get on side for her counselling service uh, charity right. thing. Yes, and he says, you darn <clears throat> kids... You you darn Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then Courtney Boobs turns up at the corner shop, we've not seen her in a while, to talk to Addy about the business meeting that they're about to attend. She's not looking forward to it because it means that she can't feel him up on the down low. She realises that she, that she doesn't deserve him. We don't deserve this. Amy gets Addy on his own at the shop later and winds him up about being his date tomorrow at the bistro for the stupid dinner thing because Amy has now agreed to go along Right, yes. Addy wonders why Amy doesn't like Courtney and she says that Courtney doesn't care about him. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah. She's using you. She's manipulating you. She's grooming you. It's bad. We have a little little theory brewing about this storyline that we'll talk about at the end of it. On Wednesday, Dev is making a big deal about the meal tonight to celebrate the deal that's gone through. What a horribly constructed sentence that was. Yes. Bernie is pissed that she has to get changed for this, and Addy is pissed that Amy has been roped into it, and claims to have a girl on the side called Monica, who lives in Canada, and you don't know her. Right. She's. Do you see what you did there with Monica? Does this have something to do with friends? Courtney. Courtney oh, Cox. Okay. Monica. All right. No, no, you're right. So now we're, we're to believe that Addy watches Friends. Right. Yeah. I mean, our children watch Friends. Hmm. So. So Addy and Amy are chatting about the situation with Courtney. Darren is convinced that she's having an affair and Amy wonders what he'll do when he finds out it's Addy that she's bonking. And what about the deal? 
Before they can answer, Dev, Bernie, Darren and Courtney Boobs arrive. The latter two already sniping each other, and Bernie is not impressed with Dev's schmoozing, particularly with Courtney Boobs. Right. It was hilarious before they got there when, when Dev was freaking out about which shirt to wear, and they were both identical pink shirts. Yeah. And, and Bernie says, the blue one. Yes, that was funny. <laughs> During dinner... Amy manages to get a donation promise from Darren for a charity, and Dave, meanwhile, is flattering Courtney and her perfume choices. It's seduction or something like that, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah. Conversation turns to Addie's new flame, and Courtney would love to hear about Monica, who Addie describes as sexy and funny and exciting, and Amy can't wait to meet her, she says. Courtney leaves the table after sending Addie an excuse to meet her outside, so in the, in the landing, in the foyer... I'm not sure Somewhere. what you call it. It looked like a or closet. Or a vestibule of some sort. Right. On the way to the and, toilet. And this is and this is after her husband berates her for using her cell phone at the table as if she was his daughter. Yeah. Which is terrible. So whatever that is, on the way to the bathroom. Right. They're all over each other. I'm Monica. Kiss me, you fool. Right. And it's like, really, guys? Really? And then she's like, I thought you liked the danger. And it's like, no, he said he didn't like the danger. He's never said that he liked the danger. No, no. Never once has he said that. No. So while they're winching, Dev steps out and catches him. What the fuck is going on here? He asks, what is this? Many, many times. He reckons that they've lost their minds. Courtney leaves them to it and heads back to the table. And Dev explains how much they have invested in this deal, calls Addy an entitled fuck for rolling his eyes and sends him back to the table to behave himself. At the bar, Bernie wants to know why Dev went after Courtney and he says he just wanted to make sure that she was okay but Bernie reckons that Dev fancies Courtney. He says he's just keeping them happy for the deal. It's all about the deal. Right, yes. But uh, it, Which is fair enough, but he didn't have to be so very, very terrible to Bernie. No. In the process, by saying that the perfume wouldn't work on her, she needs something more robust. <laughs> Fuck you, Dev. Robust is a good adjective to use while describing an attribute of a lady. That you are sleeping with. <laughs> oh, some lovely robust sex. At the table, the conversation continues to be loaded and eventually Darren has winded up enough to accuse Courtney flat out of cheating on him and he's determined to find out who with. She gleefully admits it and says it makes them even and she goads him further by saying that he's got great hair and he's hiding in plain sight. She might as well point to Addy at this point. Right, yeah. Fuck her for doing this to this kid. She storms off and Darren immediately jumps to the conclusion that it's Dev. (laughs) That was funny. And when he launches himself at Dev, who has great hair for his age. He does have great hair for his age. Addy admits that he's the one who's getting his hole off of his missus. Darren is perplexed by this. It just kind of happened, says Addy. I hope it was worth it, snaps Darren, because you'll be working in your dad's shitty shop for the rest of your life. And he leaves, letting Dev pick up the tab, who I think was going to pay for it anyway. Right. Back home, Andy tells Dev that he's in love and this doesn't have to be the end of their working relationship with Darren and he says that he can talk to him. Yeah. Then Courtney comes in. Andy calls her babe. Ugh. Darren has black bagged her and Dev's about to do the same. Darren is Dev's friend, he says. Andy threatens to walk if he throws her out and backs Darren over him. And it's unclear at this point how this ends, but Dev throws some money at somebody and then storms out. Right, yeah. And where's Nina in all of this? I think we earned a little shot of Nina 
in bed with the covers pulled up to her chin, just looking like, what, <laughs> what the, the absolute fuck is going on here? <laughs> on Friday, Dave and Asha are not happy. Courtney has stayed the night and Dev can't get a hold of Darren. Asha, though, is curious where Dev gets off lecturing anyone about anything, which is fair when, enough. Uh, when it comes to... Uh, matters of the heart. Yes. Later, when everyone else is gone, Courtney gets up in her dressing gown and slippers, so she's come prepared. She could get used to pampering like this as Addig's goes off to make her a new cup of coffee because the last one went cold. And Dev's, Dev shouts at Amy about the Addy situation and she admits that she knew about it, but it wasn't her story to tell. Addy comes in worried that it's a bad time to talk, which Amy finds hilarious. He asks if Courtney can stay a bit longer. Dev advises Addy to think of his future and his talent and not throw it away on a woman like Courtney Boobs. At the bistro, Courtney announces that Darren has cut her off and has cancelled her credit cards. Like, she's surprised that this would happen. Right. <clears throat> and, and this is the woman who is like, oh, I'm independent. I have my own money. I have a degree. Mm-hmm. Everything is in Darren's name. She asks if Addy is okay paying for this as she sips on a glass of wine. She gets a call from Darren telling her that he's starting divorce proceedings and reminds her of their prenup. What, what? Right, but if she was independently wealthy before they met and has this fancy business degree and everything and has her had her own money before they got married, then even if... At this point, she hasn't been working in years because he didn't want her to work. She should still walk with whatever she came into the marriage with. One would assume she had money before she met him. Unless all of that was just bullshit, Mm. which it probably was. Well, at least she still got massive boobs. Adia thinks that she should speak to a solicitor. There's no way Darren can cut her off like that. And in the store... Dave and Amy are chatting about his example to his children about relationships when Darren comes in and shakes Dave's hand. There's no hard feelings and he holds no ill will to him, but Addy's name is mud in the business world now and Darren will go solo on the deal. Thank you very much. And that's as far as we get with that And I week. say good day to you, sir. Yes, I said good day. Dave has invested money in this. Has he? Or has he done it yet? Well, remember, he was freaking out. Remember how how much we have invested in this. And Amy keeps pointing out to Addie how this is dangerous because of the money that his dad has fronted for all of this. I think he has the money ready to invest in this. Right. And wants to invest in this. But here's what I'm thinking is happening. This is all a play by Darren and Courtney. There is no deal with Fresh Co's. We never see Dev at a meeting with Fresh Co's. It's always Darren telling Dev how the meeting went and if the deal is on or off. So, Darren and Courtney dream up this proposed deal. They get Courtney to make out with Addy, or it could have been Dev. Mm-hmm. They get found out. The deal is suddenly off because of Addy. Dev, who obviously has so much time and stuff invested into this, wants this to happen. Right. So Darren says to him, tell you what, I'll still do this deal with you, but it's going to cost you twice as much. Yeah, I don't see that happening. That's where I see this going. That's Mm -hmm. my prediction on this. 
Yeah, I mean... Because the alternative is that Courtney fancies Addy. Well, that's obviously not true, but it feels like she was using him to make her husband angry. That that's, that's what she's using him for. That Because, you know, she says, you know, you're one to talk and I'm just getting back at you mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I, I'm going to take her at her word that that's exactly what she's doing. There's something about this couple that doesn't add up. Well, I, I will agree with you there because especially the fact that they're like right in the middle of this negotiation and then they fuck off to the Caribbean. That doesn't make any sense to me. And also, you know, she says, she says to adding now, or she says over the phone to, to her husband, well, you didn't want me to work, but the impression that we've got from all of the meetings that they've had is that she plays a part in his business, that they agree, they work out deals together. Mm -hmm. So, it doesn't sound to me like the kind of husband that doesn't want his wife to work if they're working together for most of this. There's an awful lot that doesn't make sense here. Right. But I think it's purely manipulating and using and grooming a young man just to get back at her husband. I don't think this is a chance for Dave to lose all his money all over again. Because it's been a few years since he lost all his money trying to buy the nudes of Asha off the internet. Well, try, yeah, and trying now, to keep them off the he, internet. Now he's a master about money again and he's mortgaged some businesses and stuff. He's got some cash that he's about to lose it again. And this time it's Addy's fault. Well, he's still paying to keep Asha's nudes off the internet. I think we've forgotten about that. Because doesn't he mention it like last Just week? Just very, very occasionally. No, he hasn't mentioned it in any age. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't There's something know. rotten in the state of Denmark here. Right, yeah. Well, let's just remember, we've always hated the storyline. Oh, yeah. And and it's it also, it, at this point, it does, I was kind of surprised that all of these things get admitted this week. Because it, it felt like this was a slow burn and now all of a sudden everything's out in the open and stuff. Yes. It kind of makes me feel like the show almost immediately realized how very bad this storyline is and rewrote it on the fly to wrap it up very quickly. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like... I kind of feel like this about another storyline. It kind of feels because I'm like, why would they kill off Paul, who is a character that most people like, and Peter Ash is a very good actor in in acting him. Those dimples, man. Yeah, and those eyes, very, very, very blue. And I was thinking about how there's been some criticism of the show that Paul is not played by a gay actor. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if they're killing him off because after the fact, they realize, yeah, this may not be the look we want to have a gay actor or a gay character played by a straight actor. I don't know. I mean, they have plenty of gay people in the show playing straight characters. 
So they've got Yasmin and they've got Bernie, you know, who are both lesbians playing straight people in love with terrible men. <laughs> well, that's the price you pay. <laughs> Let's move on to comparing briefs. On Monday at the law office, oh, okay. Joel shows up to see DD on the pretense that he's going to work in the US and looking for some advice from her. So he asks her out for a drink later to discuss American legal system. You're going to need something a lot stronger. Adam watches on with a smile as he notices something that Dee Dee doesn't. Joel is waiting in the rovers with a bottle of red as Dee Dee arrives and she's very much in a business frame of mind to give him the presentation on how law is done in the United States of America. And it must have lasted like a couple of hours because she's back in the lawyer's office after the meeting with Joel, which was all business, so Adam has to spell it out to her. Joel wants to get you into bed. And this is news to Dee Dee. In the Rovers, Adam continues to act as matchmaker and encourages her to give his office a call as he probably thinks that she isn't interested when she absolutely is. Well, oh. is she? Oh, she seems to be. Yeah. But there's a part there's a part of her that seems hesitant here, doesn't there? Well, there's something that, that Michael's about to say or that kind of backs up what you're saying. Mm. On Wednesday, Dee Dee lands in the lawyer's office with a brace of empty cups for her and Adam... Sarah is letting Adam have soft play for the night, which is nice, and he's in such a good mood about this, he decides to rip the piss out of her for not knowing when a bloke was desperate to get her into underwear. Later, Michael comes round to hang out in the lawyer's office and reminds Dee Dee of other times that she ignored the bobby that was right in front of her. And then Joel comes in to return the book that she lent him, and she guesses that he didn't really want the book, he wanted to ask her out, but he makes matters more confusing by pretending to really want the book, but eventually he does ask her out, but Didi's dance card is filled for the foreseeable future, thanks to Adam, so he fucks off. Leaving his number. In the book. He wrote in someone else's book. Who does that? <laughs> in the rolls, Michael tears into Didi for knocking back Joel so that she can play Agony Ant for Adam, dump Adam, and make Joel her goal. And this is a bit that annoyed me. Is Didi supposed to just say yes to the first bloke that shows the least amount of interest in her? Right, yeah. What is what is wrong with these men? Look at her. Seriously. <laughs> look at her. Yes. Look at this Joel character. Right. Now look at her again. Yes. She's Joel is punching she's above a, his weight. She's supposed to drop everything. For she's supposed to drop her friends and the support that she's given to Adam, which is important to her, because some guy has shown her the slightest bit of interest. Right. Yeah. Come on. Dee Dee does not need any help, people. Look at her! That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. She's gorgeous. She is. And she's always dressed so well. Yes. It seems never in the same thing twice. No. She is so freaking pretty. And, and like her brother and her friend are acting like she should jump at the chance to date this dude. Or, or you'll die alone. Right, yeah. What? And, and Michael says, you're young-ish. What? She is young. She in her 30s? Yeah. She ain't dead yet. No, not even close. Oh. And I mean, part of that is a brother winding, a big brother winding her up. Right. And, you know, he's not getting any younger either. And he also has a child. Yeah, that's not the only thing he's not getting. <laughs> so he should he should look to himself because 
We've only seen him date Grace on the show. Physician, heal, heal thyself. thyself. In the pub, Adam has been dumped by soft play, so he's morose with Dee Dee talking about his failed marriage, and that's what Dee Dee chooses to do over meeting Joel. Which Joel, is fine. Yeah. On Friday at the law office, Dee Dee is chatting to Adam about Joel, which is back on again, apparently. She's careful not to share why it was off again, which was because Adam is a lonely loser. But then she absolutely does share that with him, and he's affronted. Right. Well, she shows him a, t- a different text and then is surprised that he scrolls up and sees the other text. Right. Which was a bit cheeky on his part. Right. But who's not going to do that? You give somebody else your phone. You go a snooping? Yeah. Well, it's just scrolling up. It's not like he's digging through old emails or something. Oh, I don't think this is measured in effort. He's snooping. He shouldn't be doing that. At the base row, Dee Dee shows up for a night with Adam to find Adam has invited Joel instead. Adam is not about to let her put her social life on hold for him. Look at this man. He's asked you out. You should go out with him. <laughs> Joel and Dee Dee are getting on famously though as they chat about family and being the middle child. Joel has heard of James Bailey and is a county fan. It doesn't look like a county fan. No, not with those pants. Adam and Daniel <laughs> are at the pub talking about how sad Adam must be for Dee Dee to throw off a date for him. He's missing Sarah and Harry and regretting that the part that he played and all that. And I'm glad that they're acknowledging this because he just split up with Sarah and then we never talked about it again. Yeah. It was the only thing that the show was talking about and right. then we're just forgetting that it harmed. Yeah. That's the show <laughs> for you. Right. Yeah, that is the show. So Didi and Joel are walking home from the date. She gives him a kiss in the cheek. And he responds by giving her a couple of kisses on her lips. Right, yes, without asking consent. (laughs) They both look forward to their next date. And as they part, Adam comes along and she admits that she had a great time and thanks him for setting the whole thing up. And that brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. And then they go up into their shared flat together. Yeah, I forgot he was staying there. Yeah. Oh, that's not going to... Oh, wait a minute. Mm. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, Fucking hell. Show. Show. I don't know if, if there's any point in this hard debate now. It's <laughs> How did you not? You're, you're as thick as Dee Dee is with some of this stuff, my my friend. I'm not very good at, at noticing things that I'm, that I'm accusing Dee Dee of. Those things I'm not very good at noticing. Myself. No, no, you're not. So the hard debate was... What is Joel's mandatory secret? He's really gay. Is he gay? Yeah. Is he not a lawyer? Does he have a terminal illness? Or does he have racist parents? He's gay. Because remember there was a joke made about, are you sure I'm the member of my family you're the most interested in? Yeah, I did notice that. Yeah. But then he says, no, you're definitely more attractive to me. Oh, but, mm. but better than that. Yeah. Anyway, this poll still has 21 hours to run, but so far, gay has 44.6% of the vote. Not a lawyer, 26.2%. How can anybody say that when we're introduced to him being racist Kelly's lawyer? Terminal illness, 3.1%. And racist parents, 26.2%. Mm. So he's definitely gay then. So, so far, the money... Out of those four choices, uh-huh. he's got a secret. Right, because everybody's I think got, everyone's a secret. got a secret. So, at the moment, 
the money seems to be on being gay. <sighs> how do I feel about that? Well, how I feel about that is, is Adam bisexual all of a sudden? Why if, would Adam be bisexual? If Dee Dee is and Adam are living together uh-huh. and Joel gets on a wee invite uh-huh. up to Dee Dee's and if Joel is indeed gay, mm-hmm. does Joel have a quick wee go on Adam and Adam decides that, do you know what? This ain't so bad. Might as well. Because <laughs> that's how sex works. Uh, your hole's your hole. Uh, no. Well, I don't know. what's the point of them being gay then? I... <laughs> There's obviously a better way what of saying that. What is the point of being gay? It makes no sense. Clip that. Get that clipped. <laughs> it would give Todd something to do. Then why get Dee Dee involved in it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just desperately, desperately hoping that when Paul dies, Todd and Billy don't get back together again. Because that would suck. Yeah. Anyway, we're not even talking about that storyline yet. I don't know. I don't know. It just, it seemed like... It's given us a couple too of clues, important, too important of a flyaway comment to make on a first date and stuff. The alternative is that, or is he a serial killer? We we haven't got rid of the first one yet. He's not the first one. Well, not the first one. The, the current one. We've not got right. rid of the current one yet. I've seen a lot of comments about Dee Dee and Adam getting together yeah. and I really don't want that to happen yeah that's that's where I kind of fear this is going I like them being friends yeah and I think it's important to have the occasional relationship between a man and a woman that is just platonic and based on that they like each other and that's, right. but, and that's as far as it goes right yeah like what we had briefly with Tim and Aggie right and apparently they are still friends. We just don't know where Aggie is. <laughs> Bring Aggie back. I want to wait to talk about that. I am grateful that they've realized that Dee Dee is gorgeous and needs to have men falling all over themselves for her because at this point she's only had, what's his name, who ended up stooping Sarah? Damien. That's his name. Damon. Damien <laughs> is the son of Beelzebub. Yes. <laughs> Same person. They both hang out in cornfields. What on earth does that mean? Oh well, I think we better move on. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, misremembering no. my evil children from movies. I just assumed you were quoting Bob Dylan. Mm. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline tonight is Do you want to bet? On Friday, Ed is in Nina's roles doing a crossword and accidentally hears horse racing tips on the radio that's in the calf. Ronnie comes in to tell him that the contracts have been exchanged on a new project and he proposes a celebration at Speeddale later, 5pm, and then we see that Ed has scribbled down a horse's name on his paper, neck curtain, at 10 to 1 at the 4.30. So, kind of near the time that he's supposed to be having dinner. Mm. Ronnie and Debbie in Speeddale are waiting for Ed and Aggie, who isn't there. Ed's running late, though. Where on earth could he be? And he gets to the table late, claiming that he had a mix-up in times. There's still no sign of Aggie, who is still with her auntie, and again, that is not a euphemism. No. Then Kirk comes in and says that he saw Ed on Curzon Street, 
but Ed pretends that it wasn't him and Ronnie is instantly suspicious. Correct. So when Debbie goes off for a pish, Ronnie gets a chance to quiz Ed about the four different bookies that are on Curzon Street and maybe Ed has been uh, been a naughty boy. <clears throat> Ed denies it, which Ronnie thinks is defensive. It reminds him to let his brother know if he's struggling. Ed says he's fine and he swears on it. Right. So Ronnie and, lets it go. And he's very careful in the way he words things. He's like, I'm not struggling. If I am struggling, I will let you know, which is not a denial of going to bed. That's true. That's true. So it's very it's very cute how deplorable Debbie and Ronnie are together. <laughs> They're so cute. Yes. They're so cute together. You know, I'm actually at first I thought Ronnie had made the wrong choice and should have stayed with Jenny. Hmm. But that still would have worked. Yeah, but you know what? I feel like this works better because Debbie and Ronnie are the same kind of devious together. I think so. And they're so cute together talking about how, you know, Debbie eats all the food when they split something together. Yeah, you absolutely know that's true. (laughs) Yeah, she just leaves the the, the scraggy bits. Right. Yeah. Can we talk about Kirk just for a second? Kirk going dolphin free. That's so. It's like that's dolphin like dolphin free gravy granules and dolphin free samosas. Or yes, something. Right. It's like can't can't you make a joke about about something that's a current concern because dolphin free tuna has been around since. Since like the early aughts, if not the the nineteen nineties, that's how you say nineteen nineties. Is it? Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I remember it from right from quite a while ago. Yeah, like when we were kids, like during the whole save the whales thing, and look how that turned out. Now the orcas are are destroying yachts for us, and it's nice. Orcas aren't whales; they're dolphins. They're dolphins. Yes, but still, we call them whales. Um, and then the humpback whales are going after the orcas for killing seals. It's all weird and it's all connected, but you know, like what's, what's a thing he could be going around and asking if things are, are carbon free or grown under solar panels or something or non GMO. It's got to be stupid because Kirk is stupid but apparently kirk is so stupid that he thinks everything can be dolphin friendly well i mean and it's he's not wrong that the gravy granules are dolphin friendly it well, is they are because they couldn't possibly be, be dolphin unfriendly that. yeah it's like they have a dartboard with just random words on it and they just throw darts at the dartboard, okay, what stupid thing is Kirk going to be obsessed with this week? It's manatees. Right. It's manatees that bring back uh, story ideas. <laughs> You've got a huge big, if South Park is to be believed, they've got a big pool full of red balls that manatees swim and they just grab a ball at random and bring it back to one of the writers and that's what Kirk's is this week. Hmm. How do manatees get to Colorado? It's in California. Oh. Because it's the studios for Family Guy that this... Oh, that, that okay. Were, that, that makes sense. That they were sense. satirizing. That makes perfect sense. 
perfect sense. All right, carry on. No, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I, I just hate that we have 90 seconds to fill, so let's get Kirk in a couple of scenes right. being so mind-blowingly stupid that right. he's like three weeks away from smearing his own shite on the walls. Mm-hmm. Just just so he can come in, he says something stupid, and then he reveals a plot point. And, you know, and, a, and then he goes away again. Yeah. What is the point of this character anymore? It's kind of like what they've done to poor Mary. When was the last time Mary got a story? They're, they're dragging their feet on her and Brian hooking up. Mary had to play, at least, which was somewhat serious. Kirk had the... The, the breakup the, with right with Beth and now and they're that, back together and that got again. Me really yeah. simply, that's a shame because if he's going to be in the show, you might as well give him something better to do than right. than this push. Right, there are so many other characters who do do interesting things who we haven't seen in months. Bring them back. That's give Kirk a my break. Point. All right, our final storyline is ten thousand steps on Wednesday. Paul is about to head to Shelley's when Billy stops him about a letter that he's received and kind of opened as well. Right, and already read. (laughs) Oopsie, oopsie. Paul decides to find this delightful. Right, It's an appointment request from a palliative nurse, which Paul sees as a grim reaper sharpening her scythe. Yes. He grabs his stick and slowly walks off, which makes Billy pull that face. And this is kind of, ever since Paul's been diagnosed with motor neuron disease, They've had him walking everywhere. Right. I choose I choose to believe his, his statement on the gender of death to mean that he's a fan of of Neil Gaiman Sandman comic books. Oh, that was me, that wasn't him. Oh. I thought he did say her. No. Oh. Paul Never read mind. that Shelley's Paul sucks. <laughs> she's still not looking like she should uh, be starting reading any long books or buying any green bananas, if Correct. you know what I mean. Yeah. He finds it comforting that she can have a laugh about death uh, and their fate, which he doesn't get that from Billy. No. To talk about Shelley's musical choices for her funeral for a bit, and Paul talks about some of the things he'd like to do before he goes. Like there's these uh, statues on a beach that he wants to go and see, and he's never been to Scotland. How has he never been to Scotland? It's right there. <laughs> it's there. Daniel could have taken have him. Have you seen it? It's right there. It's right there. Shelley pretends, I think, to reckon that Paul's on the turn. And fancies a bit of what she's got to offer. She's in a fit of coughing at this, and Paul reckons that he should stay the night because she's sounding really bad, which makes it worse. And then her carer, Jim, arrives, and the moment passes. Paul heads home to break the news to Billy that he's now heterosexual, or possibly bi. When Paul gets home, he sees Billy taking charge of a wheelchair that they need for uh, that they don't need for now, but in the meantime. Billy's going to cover it with a dishcloth or something. He's going to cover it with a tarpaulin. They chat about Shelley, who Paul thinks is in a bad way. It's a tough watch, says Billy, and I'm not sure if he's talking about the show in general at this point. <laughs> On Friday, Paul and Billy are out of the flat, and Paul nearly goes ass over tit within a few steps, but still refuses the wheelchair. And Daniel and Daisy are in Nina's roles. He tries to arrange a night out for the pair of them, but they're too busy. And then Daniel is thinking about getting a tablet for Bertie because he keeps playing with his phone. And now it's like 28 minutes until they can unlock it. Bernie overhears this and she suggests a cheap tablet at half the price. Brand new, mostly all above board. And Daniel says that he'll think about it. And then there's rolls 
Todd and George are still standoffish with each other. Todd has a new laptop, which is spied by Paul and Billy. Todd says he got it from Big Garth at the market, and Billy notes that it's the same make that Summer got, and this makes Paul very suspicious of Bernie all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. The quad house, Bernie's trying to shift all the boxes of laptops out the house, but it's caught when Paul arrives. She says she's just doing a favour for Garth, but Paul notices that all the boxes are addressed to Shelley. He quickly puts two and two together. He finds it hard to believe that Bernie's doing this out of the goodness of her heart, but she insists she's doing it to make Shelley's and Paul's lives easier, and she shows him the money that she's made that she wants to dedicate to buying improvements in the house. He melts to this, but knows that dodgy dealings aren't in the way, and he doesn't want her in jail. Bernie doesn't care and begs him to turn a blind eye to this. Back home, Billy has some great news. The stag news is a goer. Paul tells him about Bernie's scheme for Shelley and Billy thanks him for sharing and uh, says that returning the money or not is up to Paul. Paul decides that he doesn't want anything to do with it and goes off to tell Shelley that she can't use Bernie as a fence anymore and he also has some plans to stop off at a vinyl store to buy Shelley a gospel record that she wants. Billy fingers his moustache in thought. Hmm. So Paul's in a sketchy part of town near a canal with graffiti and stuff. That's how you know it's a sketchy part of oh, town. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like it's like that movie, that French movie we watched the other day, where we know the main character is pretending to be poor because she's eating in a kebab shop. Right. <laughs> you know, the best kebab I had in my life was in Paris. I believe that. Just wonderful. Yeah. He calls Shelley on his way to see her with the record and leaves a message. But as he's walking, his legs give way and he's on the ground and there's nobody there to help. He struggles to get up, but he doesn't have the energy and he can't reach his phone. So he's left to shout for help. He manages to get to his phone, calls Gemma for some reason, but to no avail. And it looks like he might call Billy, but then doesn't. So it looks like it's a night on a deserted canal front for Paul. And also, apparently, he's broken that record, which I call bullshit on, <laughs> because records don't break that easily. Yeah, they're tough. They're and, tough things. And also, it, like, original records that were made out of something not vinyl, you know, that were partially glass. Yes, those those broke quite frequently. This would not break like this. And also, it should be in a sleeve, it's just basically a record in like the paper sleeve. It doesn't have the cover on it. What bullshit vinyl store is he going to for oh, this record? I had a few records like that in my time that didn't have a proper cover that just had the the paper inner sleeve. I had a few like that. Yeah, where'd you buy them? Oh, Woolworths or something like that. Really? Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. No, it's true. Well, no, but it is bullshit. No, it's true. No, I believe you, but it's bullshit that people are selling records like that in like Woolworths. I didn't oh, even know you had Woolworths. Well, they didn't. They're, they've gone busted. This was new. Buying it brand new like that. Yeah. I, nobody should be selling brand new records in paper sleeves. Well, this is how they came. This was what not, is this wrong wasn't with that your long country? After, this wasn't that long after the war, Helen. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's Todd who eventually arrives and helps Paul up and leads him to the canal for a slash. No looking now. Hey. And after that awkward moment, Paul is loaded into Todd's hearse and Todd tells Paul that he needs to accept that he's going to need a wheelchair and he also calls him wet leg. Well, yeah, because and Paul gets offended initially because Todd is talking about the the band wet leg. 
Todd delivers Paul back to the God flat. Summer has her Battenberg sweater on specially. Billy quickly gets some first aid stuff while Summer leaves with Todd. Paul says nothing hurts, which is worrying because he's clearly hurt himself. Right. He explains what happened, how he just lay there all hopeless and he broke Shelley's record and he breaks down crying. He still doesn't want to use a wheelchair, but he knows it's time. Yeah. So Paul tries it out and then realises that he only has one hand to push it, so he's just going to go around in circles. So Summer has to push him and they make a laugh out of it. After some coaxing from Billy, they even head to the pub. So Paul's feeling pretty self-conscious when he goes in with the wheelchair, but he joins Daniel and Adam's table with George helping them into the booth and everyone's rooting for him and it's all just nice and community and stuff. Yeah, and it's nice because you remember that Daniel and Paul are friends yeah. and used to be roommates. The gang are all chatting about Dev and Addy from another storyline and Bernie thanks Paul for not being too harsh on her. Paul mentions that he didn't even get a chance to visit Shelley, but he's decided that he's going to need the money and he begs her to be careful with what she's doing. And back at the God flat later, Paul is coming to terms with the wheelchair and appreciates the freedom it's going to give him so long as Summer's there to push him about. Hmm. He's still upset about Shelley's record, but Summer reckons that they can get a replacement. He doesn't know what he would do without Shelley, so he goes to call her, but there's no answer and it goes to voicemail. And that's because Shelley's Shelley dead. is dead. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yeah. You know when I knew she was dead? When he's walking those graffiti streets. Oh, yeah. To, I was like, yeah, she's dead. I yeah. thought he was gonna. Yeah, I thought he was gonna be the one to find her instead of falling and having to pee behind a dumpster. Yeah, she'd been talking about her funeral on Wednesday. She was definitely going to die. Yeah, and she was coughing more, and her yeah. palliative care person seemed really concerned. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was a palliative care guy who found her. Right. And he seemed to linger a little bit outside the room, and I don't know if that was just because he was sad or. Yeah. Is there something weird going on? Did he notice did, all the boxes? Did he help? Did he help her go? No, I think he's just sad. I really? don't want to look. I don't want to read anything else into it. He just lingered a little bit, and the camera lingered on him, lingering. That right. made me wonder because he's sad. There's something a little bit more to it than that, right? I don't know. Let's remember, she was a wild one. She was a live wire. She was a live wire, and now she's a dead wire. Yes. <laughs> I quite like Shelley. Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish they'd gotten a little bit more use out of her. Yeah. She's, she was hardly in it. Yeah. Just a handful of episodes, but... Yeah. Enough to good. get involved with Big Garth. <laughs> right. It was good. Well, yeah, exactly. Look at what she managed to accomplish in just a few episodes. Right. That she was a real use to Paul. Helped him out. Helped him come to terms and, and deal with his situation. I, I, I guess more healthily than he was before, mm -hmm. and also set up this thing where with Bernie, with Bernie and Big Garth, which yeah. I presume is going to come back to bite somebody in the arse now that she's dead, right? And we've got people going into into her uh, flat and nobody's there to hide stuff. So I presume something's going to come back to bite Bernie in the arse here. Well, nobody's going to be buying anything else with that credit card. That's true. So maybe it'll be fine. I am concerned about how much talk about going to jail, going to the jail for this, has been mentioned. <laughs> yeah, just it's cost for concern, certainly. Yes, yes, because we don't want Bernie to miss the death of her son. That would be tragic. Oof. Yeah, that'd be tough. It would be tough. We've got uh, Todd being there to. Yeah, I knew that was Paul, Todd right away too. Going to be nice before they before they pan up to show Todd's face. I was like, that's Todd. Yeah, of course. Because I, I guess I recognize Gareth Pierce's legs 
for some reason. <laughs> I think we're all at that point now. <laughs> but it was good that it was him and yeah. he brings a little bit of levity to the situation. and Right. And he can be a straight shooter with Paul. And, and Paul kind of accepts things right. from Todd more than Billy because... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Because Todd... Todd just tells it straight without giving him that pitiful look, like, I'm so sad that you're dying sort of look. We need to get a wriggle on here for this wedding, though, because Paul's dream of walking down the aisle... Is over. Looks like it's not going to happen. And the way that he really deteriorated so quickly during that walk... but Yeah. Well, why do we have him walking for miles all of a sudden? Is right. <laughs> right, I'm just looking for a walk now. Off he goes to walk to Shelley's again. Right. Jesus, get a Could taxi, Could he not man. take a bus? Right. Well, we don't know. He may have taken the bus to the vinyl store and then walked down a dodgy part of town by the... Canal. Canal. Because Where sure. there's nobody, nobody there. Yeah, there's nobody just, walking their dogs just, in that part of the canal. Just the ITV studio is just off camera just a little bit because there's graffiti right. and you know if there's graffiti that means it's a bad part of town yes yeah, so you'd expect there'd be some junkies hanging about right there. yeah i was kind of worried that he was gonna get jumped or, while he was on the floor or running into cassie or something <laughs> yeah i was a little upset that todd and uh, george still aren't talking to each other and then i'm like really in this storyline is that the thing that's uh, pulling on my heartstrings here right but the whole thing is is still yeah is still pretty sad and I, and i do think out of all the storylines i am I, I am invested in this because you know paul is a character that i like and so this yes. is this is how you get people interested in these storylines right? right by killing off a beloved uh, character and, and billy wasn't quite as annoying no that i was gonna say billy is not as annoying because yes he is opening paul's mail and yes, that is annoying. Mm-hmm. But then when Paul tells him about what Bernie and Cassie are doing, or not Cassie. Shelley. Shelley. Thank you. The dead one. Dead Shelley. <laughs> yes, dead Shelley. Um, you know, he doesn't get all judgy. He's just like, well, whatever you choose to do is fine. Yeah, he's like, I wouldn't do it. Right. This wouldn't be something that I'd be involved in, but right. this is up to you. Right. Which and isn't the, the wasn't what I expected from him. No. One you, little bit. You expect him to be holier than thou. Oh, yeah. Threatening to go to the police. Right. The whole nine yards. Right. Yeah. It's nice that he's not like that this week. Yeah, we just need to get a little bit of move on here. And he's also not, you know, he's also kind of apologetic about the wheelchair. You know, that it was delivered. He's going to need one of those ones that you... The motorised ones. Yeah. Because he's right. And I never struck me until he sat in it and then said, I'm just going to go around in circles here because this hand doesn't work. Right. And I I just suddenly felt all the more sorry for him Mm -hmm. with that situation. Even the wheelchair isn't the... Um, the answer isn't the solution to this right and then a wheelchair on its own doesn't help and then they bring the wheelchair up to the flat and i'm like why are you not leaving it at the bottom of the stairs for him to be able to use to get outside and stuff and have independence how's that wheelchair going to get back downstairs because somebody's going to steal it they're going to wheel it to the precinct and they're going to hit eliza with it (laughs) and then that's going to start (laughs) that's going to start a whole other mystery Mm. of who stole the wheelchair it's dom Dom again. Yeah. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. 
tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Evelyn moving in with Roy. Or is it, it's either Evelyn and Roy or it's Paul and Todd. I kind of feel like maybe it should be Paul and Todd. Oh, see, for me, it was the gang all in the Rovers and the booth just having a laugh. Paul being so unsure and self-conscious about going into the Rovers in the wheelchair and everyone kind of taking a little breath when mm-hmm. they see him. Apart from Daisy, mm-hmm. Daisy just walked up and asked him what he wanted. Yeah. Oh, how oh how her character has changed. Yeah. But when they were all in the booth and they're just having a laugh and stuff, it was, just, it was just a nice little warm little moment for me. That would be my moment of the week, I think. But hey, this is your section, so. <laughs> how is it? Because I've decided. Ah, uh, I don't know. Those are three very good options, which is nice. At least, at least I have to give the show credit that this week we have three very valid answers, as opposed to last week when we couldn't think of even one thing that we liked. <laughs> right. So it is an improvement over last week. Because I did like the banter about no looking, and he says, "I wouldn't dream of it." Uh, how do we look much Mm yeah yeah all right let's give it because i do like seeing lots of people in the rovers and there were a lot of people in the rovers it was the busiest it'd been for a while yeah since the the little party that they had certainly yeah let's 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 give it to that everybody being nice to paul for once Paul just having some banter and part of his pals right and his mum kissing his forehead and him forgiving her Moment of the week. Moment of the week. It's Kirk's fucking dolphins, isn't it? <laughs> Is that boring or just sad? Dumb. That's the dumb moment of the week. Is it that or is it uh, the boobs lady complaining about her credit cards? That was kind of boring. So it's like, ah, oh, I don't want to hear you moan about this. You're or, a child or, groomer. Or is it anything that Stu says? Cause, is it anything that Eliza says? Because anytime I see Stu and anytime I see Eliza and anytime I see Courtney boobs, I'm just bored already. Or is it Daniel and Daisy trying to figure out a time that they can <laughs> hang out together? <laughs> yes, fuck's sake, yes. Because that was pointless. Do you want to go out? No, I'm busy. Well, yeah, I'm busy right, too. Yeah. Do you want to go out? No, you forget. I've picked up a shift this this evening. Oh, well, I have lots of papers to grade. There was no point to that conversation. And that's why that's... Boring moment of the week. Holy crap. <laughs> Just... When that... in doubt... Da- Daniel never Daniel. disappoints. No. All right. Score out of 10. You gave it a two last week, I think. Yeah. Five and a half. I thought it was still pretty poor on Monday. And I was very bored with it on Monday, but it picked up a little bit towards the end. I'm going to give it a five. Yeah. Kind of middle of the road. Still room for improvement, though. Right. But at least this has some moment of the week materials. Yeah. With characters that we care about. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Helen, Pickles and DT. If you've ever peed in a canal... And needed some help to do so. Write in and let us know about it. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky now. Woohoo! 
we've hit the big time. We're part of the cool kids. And if you're on Blue Sky, please follow us. I'm desperately trying to find people to follow, and it's so difficult. We're at CoreyPodcast.bsky.social, I think it is. Yes. You can shout me in hell or coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky-clicky section of boggle.co.uk for links to our YouTube channel and merch store. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more... The Talk of the Street! The Talk of the Street! Bye! Cheerio.